This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to today's episode of Rao Pal Real Vision. The world of crypto is an incredibly exciting journey that we're all going on together. We don't know where it's leading to, but we know it's going to be absolutely massive. Join me, Ralph Powell, as I guide you on our adventure to discover just what this new world will look like. Welcome to this very special edition of Adventures in Crypto with me, Tarek Naslawi, president of Science Magic Studios. We use emerging tech like blockchain and Web3 to deepen the connections between brands and people. And at this point, you'll be probably realizing that this is normally Raul Powell's adventures in crypto. Raul is a good friend and colleague and a co-founder of SMS as well. And that's how we ended up deciding to do a takeover for this month uh, to take you on a very special tour about the story about brands and Web3, a topic which is often discussed as one of the major forces that can drive adoption for Web3 technology. But as many of us have seen, a lot of exciting developments, but it's also not a cakewalk to make that happen. So our job this month is to get under the hood of the why, the what, and the how of why brands are investing in Web3 with the people who are actually driving it behind the scenes. And with that, it is a great pleasure to in- introduce our guest today, Adam Brockman. Adam is the co founder and co CEO of Forum3. Before that, was chief digital officer of Starbucks as well. So, has seen the entire journey of digitization and loyalty at one of the brands, at one of the, uh, the globe's largest brands, and no better person to, to talk to about a topic like this. So, Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, Tarek. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. I'm, 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 if we're going to have as good a conversation as the ones that we've had before, I know that we're going to have a, a lot of fun today. So look, why don't we just start at the top for people who aren't yet familiar with you or with Forum3. Tell us about Forum3 and what you guys do. Uh, sure. Uh, so Forum3 was created by uh, my friend Andy Sack and I a couple of years ago. Uh, we have a small team um, uh, of people that uh, we've we've added since then, but we, you know, including uh, Joe O'Rourke and um, uh, a whole a whole bunch of other folks that uh, we've been working with, and we started the company really based on a conversation uh, Andy and I had during the heart of the pandemic in twenty at the end of twenty twenty. Andy and I have been friends for you know over twenty years, and uh, we had a conversation. Um, uh, you know, about how, how, which I think you and I are going to have a great conversation about today, about how, how, how much things had changed uh, for consumers uh, and what that meant for digital transformation for brands. We were talking about that and we were specifically talking about Web3 and Metaverse and AI. And we were thinking, wow, like we should, we should do something together. We both had 
day jobs. But so we we essentially created Forum Three initially as a way to just put into action some of the conversations we were having about this new essentially era of digital transformation for brands. And so Forum Three started as a friendship and started as a conversation and um, uh, to really think about, you know, what what is a new digital transformation for brands? What could it look like? And we decided to get our, you know, you know, get our hands dirty and roll up our shirt sleeves. And there was a lot to learn. And we started out in in the Web3 space in particular and, you know, created a play to earn guild uh, and um, uh, took on uh, uh, various projects of various brands, ultimately leading me back uh, to my favorite brand, Starbucks, and doing a big project called Odyssey for them, which we can talk about. So that so start so Forum Three is really this uh, company that um, uh, thinks about this intersection between brands and um, and these new technologies. And uh, we we've been. I guess you could call it like we started out as consultants and now we're building our own platform. We've been on quite parallel paths as well on that journey as well. And and I have to say that one of the things that I find um, most grounding in the way that you guys have thought about this so far is the fact that when you and Andy started talking about a new era of digital transformation for brands, it's not like you didn't know what you were talking about, right? Like by that point, you know, let's rewind from forum three, like, you were at Starbucks for for a while. How did you end up there? What were you doing at Starbucks, and what were you building there, which kind of led you to uh, to this place where you could have that kind of epiphany? Well, at Starbucks, I was uh, their their first chief digital officer. I think I was one of the only chief digital officers um, in the world at the time. And I say that not not to pat myself on the back, more because I it was kind of. I was almost like embarrassed because I didn't, it wasn't really a real title when I first started. Um, we, you know, I, I, I came to Starbucks with this incredible opportunity to have a mandate to just to help them build a digital strategy and build uh, digital touch points with their customers in order to you know build the brand and build, build relationships. And what came from that at my tenure time at Starbucks was this, you know, incredible journey of building what Starbucks today calls their digital flywheel, which is really their mobile app and loyalty system and ordering system combined. And, um, you know, we at Starbucks, we realized just how incredible this sort of social mobile cloud era back then, 2009, 10, 11, 12, kind of kicked that off. And we, we were able to take advantage of that, that convergence era of technology to transform Starbucks to really um, you know, build this uh, mobile app and loyalty program and ordering ordering system um, and personalization engine. And that that took, you know, years to build and has been this really important part of Starbucks business now. And we saw that. Uh, I got, a, you know, obviously as chief digital officer and my team and I had a front row view of that whole process, left Starbucks um, when Howard Schultz left uh, for the second time, when he left for the second time in 2018, I left and went to J. Crew in New York and was the president and chief experience officer and eventually the co-CEO of J. Crew there for a short stint, launched a loyalty program there, uh, was able to sort of take advantage and leverage on my experience at Starbucks, um, uh, going from Seattle to New York. 
and then came back to the West Coast and um, and that's a you know then the pandemic hit and uh, what one of the things that our conversation Andy and my conversation in 2020 centered on was how how the consumer had changed so over that over that 10 12 year period which is not that long if you think about it but in today's world it's you know everything's exponential right so as Raul would say and it's true like it's um, it's like it 10 years now it used to be like 50 years and so you know the consumer had shifted quite a bit um, from 2009 to 2020 and it, not just because of the pandemic but everyone had become hyper digitized um, there were the trends we Andy and I were talking about were that the consumer had um, become much more um, demanding around uh, the the nature of the relationships they were going to have with brands. They need they felt they, they needed to have more of an emotional connection with their brand. They needed to be more participatory. Uh, you also had a, had a younger consumer base, millennials and now Gen Z, that were coming into the market that had grown up as um, almost iPad digital native. So they were thinking in terms of like Roblox and Pokemon Go and gamification. So you had you had all of these consumer shifts happening. And um, we were talking about how at big brands, even Starbucks and J. Crew and the like, that that you know, that a lot of what was digitally innovative and a lot of the digital relationships with the between the brands and the consumers had become Yes, table stakes and, and very important, but it had become more transactional in its nature. It had become um, less experiential, less emotional, less storytelling, less gamified, and um, so that was sort of the nature of the conversation we had, and a little bit of my background leading into that. Um, and and we were like, well, let's let's do something about it. Let's create a company and and you know start experimenting. And we both had day jobs. Andy was. Uh, leading a venture fund, a blockchain-based venture fund called Keen Capital. Uh, and he asked me, he said, why don't you get involved in Keen Capital on the side and we'll create Forum 3 as a almost a hobby side sideline business. And we'll start, you know, learning this stuff and figuring it out. And that's how Forum 3 really got going. So so a quick question, actually. Why Forum 3? What's the, what's the significance of the word forum to you guys? Yeah. So it's interesting. It's a double meaning behind the, 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 the history of the name Forum 3. So for starters, Andy and I met in a group called Young Entrepreneurs Organization. Many people have heard of YEO or YPO. It's sort of a peer-to-peer -peer, um, group for entrepreneurs. And we were together in the Forum 3 chapter of the uh, northwest of, of the northwest uh, YEO group, so we met in a group, uh, entrepreneur peer to peer group uh, YEO, and our chapter was Forum Three. So we always would talk about Forum Three uh, in our friendship as sort of a, um, uh, something that was historically significant to us. We also realized that. Um, community was such an important trend that we were seeing. We were seeing everywhere we looked, it was all about community. Um, and it's, it's an overused word. So we were like, you know, you think about these, this, these new converging technologies of AI, Metaverse, and Web3, and we just kept finding ourselves coming back to this concept of community. So we thought Forum3 was a great, a great name for the company. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. 
Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Well, I mean, it's definitely got a it's definitely got a ring to it, and it's actually really nice to hear the backstory um, about how you and Andy kicked this off. And uh, obviously, you have a very long history, and you could probably write a book about being co CEO, which is probably you know, you know, on on uh, uh, not not a mean feat in itself, but there's probably something quite unique about the culture and the company that would be that would be built by by people, you know, two people at the top of that. Um, but obviously, you know, a great way to start something like this is on a strong foundation of trust, really, which I guess is is the bottom of everything. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Andy, by the way, Andy's a much more experienced investor than I am. And he would tell you he you know, he was a successful entrepreneur in his own right and then became a very successful venture capitalist. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he's invested in and counseled, you know, hundreds of companies. And he would be the first person to say, like, don't do co-CEO to one of his um, portfolio companies. Uh, but because of our trust and relationship, we decided to give it a go that way. And I'm glad we have. And I'm sure if you asked our team, they'll tell you, you know, depends on what day you ask them if they, if they like the structure or not, but, you know, sort of a two headed beast at times, but, um, it's been working well so far. Well, um, uh, it's, it, it definitely appears so. And on that theme of trust, um, then I'm guessing that the background then and the history that you had at Starbucks gave you a bit of that, that kind of fabric of trust to start experimenting. Like, tell us in the audience how the relationship came about. Did Starbucks come knocking for what do we do with Web3? Did you approach them? Was it a, was it a sort of a relationship type thing? Or like, how did, how did that story come about? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a pretty cool story in the sense that Andy and I, and our and Joe and our little team had already been working on Web3 and brands a little bit. We took on a project with Ben Mesrick, the author. We were advising Boston Globe, uh, the media company, uh, all in the Web3 space. And we were doing some of our own Web3 projects. We were um, uh, his blockchain on behalf of both his blockchain firm Keen and also for Form3. We were getting really involved in the in the NFT space and in the Web3 space. Um, and um, my old boss, Howard Schultz, the uh, founder and and you know three-time CEO of Starbucks, um, who I consider you know one of the greatest business leaders of all time, he, he he and I were staying in touch, and I didn't know it, but he was going to come back for his third stint as CEO of Starbucks, and and at the time, right before he came back. Uh, he asked Andy and I, you know, tell me more about this Web3 stuff you guys are doing. Like it was not something he was very familiar with, uh, but he was, as usual, he was curious about it um, and was curious about, you know, there's a lot of talk about Web3 and I'm hearing it all over and, you know, educate me. So he pulled Andy and I into his office and asked us to talk about the stuff that excited us about Web3, you know, community, identity, uh, interoperability, storytelling, the, the sort of inherent gamification that all came out of this technology that we thought was just really interesting, really empowering. 
Um, and um, obviously it related to blockchain in general and sort of the self-sovereign nature of you know, truly owning digital assets and Ethereum and Bitcoin and sort of our feelings in general in the space. And we had a, we had a multi-day session with him and he brought some of his team in. And again, he hadn't come back to Starbucks yet. And then after he had talked to us for a few days and it was just fun to talk to, you know, my old boss and tell him what Andy and I and the team were up to. And, and then we were surprised when he called us, you know, not that long after and said, Hey, I got an, you know, you're going to find out, you know, later today that I'm making an announcement that I'm coming back as CEO, interim CEO at Starbucks. And, you know, would love to have you guys be part of the process of um, working with the Starbucks team on some innovative stuff along the lines you're talking about, because in our conversations, and frankly, for the whole year leading up to even those conversations, I, you know, I was tweeting stuff about how brands should be using this stuff. I mean, I was obviously involved in, in, in my own right, collecting and helping with projects, but I couldn't help myself but say, you know, wouldn't it be cool if Starbucks did this and that with their loyalty program? Wouldn't it be cool if other brands would do things? You know, you were doing some cool stuff with Adidas and, um, and it's not like other brands weren't doing things. So it was kind of fun. I was commenting on what brands were doing and I was focused on this sort of idea of, uh, how, how in particular you could use blockchain and digital assets and Web3 to create a, an entirely new paradigm around loyalty for brands. And um, and it was all coming out of the same notion of Andy and my conversations around community, gamification and storytelling and ownership and how exciting Web3 was to potentially unlock some of that stuff that we felt brands needed to do. And we were just incredibly lucky that... Um, Howard and his t new team, as they came on board for this interim CEO stint, they were like, would you work with our, the Starbucks team and, and help us think through what we could do in this space? And, you know, which was cool. And we did, so we got in and they signed us up and we're still uh, an advisor to them. And we, what came out of it was Odyssey. Um, and we worked with the Starbucks loyalty team, which is, you know, my, one of my old teams. And uh, they, I, I could give you more details, but one of the biggest things that I'll say that really catalyzed a lot of it was the fact that Starbucks already had a long history of not just building up a successful loyalty and mobile app uh, system, but also had done some stuff with gamification and community in the past. And so there was some good, um, there were some good foundations to build on. So that, for example, Starbucks had a game that it popped up every holiday season called Starbucks for life. And they would get a lot of their loyalty members to play this game where you would buy coffee with your app. And then you would get essentially like little stickers that you could, if you could match enough stickers, you could get coffee for a month or coffee for life. And so I was saying to the Starbucks team, you know, Hey, why aren't we creating an always on version of Starbucks for life that involves storytelling and involves where you're not just getting these stickers that go away, but they could actually be digital collectibles that could ladder up to some new experiences that could be rewards and, and, and to give credit where credit's due. The Starbucks team was awesome and they just latched on and we felt like I was back in my old chief digital officer role and, and we built you know, we basically all collectively built Odyssey together. 
Well, you know, there's a couple of really interesting things that just thank you for unfolding that and, you know, bringing us behind the curtain of that journey. Because sure. I think when you sort of do this, the pattern spotting across the different experiences people have had championing this with brands, you start to understand that, you know, what are the ingredients of the things that really thrive? And you had a couple here. The first is let's not pretend that Web3 reinvented marketing completely. Like there was a world before that, right? And you already, you had a company here which already had one of the most lauded and respected loyalty programs that was out there, right? So the bar was already, you know, pretty high when it comes to the commitment to driving consumer engagement and lifetime value. So, so there's definitely one. And the second is <clears throat> you spent a little bit of time with the, uh, the incoming CEO, you know, very precious time to plant those seeds to the degree where there was like, I see a match between what it is that we need to do in the company that I want to, to come in and lead. I've got people here that I trust and, and know from previous experience to do that. And this, the culture of this place is going to make room for us to take what we've done that step further. So there's very fertile territory there to, um, to work with. So, because I think one of the questions that you, that, that you might um, expect, or maybe you've been asked this before is, if Starbucks had a lot of great things already going on, why the Web3 part? And you kind of started to answer that with the community, the gamification aspect and going beyond the transactional. So so maybe it's a good time to actually, for anybody, especially who's not in the US and can't get access to the beta over here, <laughs> although I, I do drink my fair, fair of, my fair share of Pike Place Roast. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Odyssey. Let's talk about the premise of it um what it is you have um some partners involved in that but maybe we just you know start to talk about um you know if you haven't come across the odyssey program what does it look like to people who haven't seen it so far yeah absolutely you know obviously i want to disclaim what i'm saying that you know i'm not a starbucks spokesman everything i'm going to tell you you can find on the open internet uh, i'm just going to describe it to you um but so and that being said i also want to give credit to the starbucks loyalty team um who has brought this to life They're They've been amazing. Um, so Odyssey, so Odyssey is a, you can think of it as a game, um, an always on game for Starbucks loyalty members. And you go to a web app, uh, odyssey.starbucks.com and you log in using your regular, the same Starbucks login that you would use for your Starbucks app. You're right. It's only available right now to us, uh, loyalty members and you, Log in, and you're presented with um, a series of journeys that you can decide if you want to do them or not. Each journey has a bunch of activities in it, like maybe three or four activities. Um, and the, the purpose of the game is to get as many points as you can by completing as many of these journeys as you can. Because if you get the more points you get, the more the, you get, you level up, and the higher your level, a couple times a year, I, I think four times a year, if I'm right, something like that, you, they have these benefit selection periods and you get to select uh, a prize or a reward or an experience that you can't otherwise get if you're not playing the game. So it could be coffee for a month. It could be an exclusive coffee tumbler with your NFT, you know, your unique NFT printed on it. It could be um, uh, something philanthropic where you can, you know, instead of getting something yourself, you could donate meals to feed homeless or hungry people. You could, um, uh, there's, you know, so there's physical merch items, there's free coffee, there's um, experiences that you can choose. And th that's how you play the game. And, and when you go through these journeys that are made up of these activities to get your points, you're, 
engaging in storytelling from the brand about the brand. So you're taking a virtual tour of a, of a coffee farm in Costa Rica. You're, um, uh, you're visiting multiple different Starbucks so that you can like, you know, uh, complete a challenge at, you know, where you're visiting at least three different Starbucks uh, in a week. Uh, it might be trying different drinks. It might be, so sometimes you're buying Starbucks drinks and it's part of the journey. Sometimes you're actually doing online activities, like I said. Um, uh, sometimes you're just uh, making a pledge to do to do something uh, for somebody else. Uh, like uh, we just did a, a collaboration on Odyssey with uh, Aku, uh, the the Web three project uh, by Micah Johnson. And so the, one of the activities involved, you know, having to make a little arts and crafts thing around um, Aku after you made a pledge to do. Uh, to to inspire someone else in your life. So sometimes they're just like kind of fun and intangible and little things that are that make you feel good. Um, they often involve buying some Starbucks coffee. They definitely involve Starbucks storytelling and Starbucks values um, and mission. And you know you do all that and you level up uh, and you can uh, earn these great prizes if you get enough points. And there are there are what's happening as you're going through this the Web three part of it. So what, you know, what about this has to do with Web3? Well, one of the rewards you're earning besides points and besides the things that you can earn from your points are these stamps. And these stamps are these digital asset collectibles that are um, on Polygon, the Polygon blockchain. And you essentially like earn them along the way. So as, you know, if you complete a journey, you earn a free stamp. Um, and if you've done certain things, you might get a stamp airdrop to you. And if you... Um, want to, you can buy a stamp. So they have some stamps for sale occasionally. Um, and the, the every stamp comes with points embedded in it. And every stamp is a collectible in its own right. And Starbucks partnered with Nifty Gateway so that there could be an embedded custodial wallet as well as an embedded marketplace. So if you want to sell your stamp or want to buy one you don't have to complete a set or something's collectible um, or you just happen to see like, oh, wow, the stamp's worth, you know, $40, I could sell it and buy $40 worth of Starbucks coffee now. Like, so there's like fun, there's, it, it reminds me a lot of like when I used to collect baseball cards and stamps and sneakers and stuff like you, there's a collectible community going on with a built-in marketplace, all built on top of a loyalty game that involves storytelling and exclusive prizes. Hey everyone, we're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners and then we'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. So, so I mean, I, I'm really glad. So you did it in a fantastic order there. I know that you've, you know, this isn't the first time you told the story, but I think it was, it was fascinating to hear you say, well, what about this part is Web3? Because, because actually what you described there about the journeys and the, and the, you know, you're just like, yeah, it sounds kind of like a loyalty program, but there's something which is, which about the digital asset of the stamp itself, which transforms 
the emotion and the the interactions which can happen in this program what is it that you think is so transformative about introducing the digital asset of the stamp which changes the emotional connection here yeah i love talking to you about the stuff Tarek. so because you're right that's a great question so I, I left out something important which is community and, and that community comes from this i think comes from this feeling that you're part of a process part of a game part of a hobby that other people are also part of and find fun and interesting and they want to talk about it so if you think about a lot of what happens with web3 when go all the way back i'm going to answer your question by going all the way back to when andy and i uh first got started in the space like um we started before it got hyped up we started buying nfts and being a part of these little nft communities and um, before all the hype and all the other crap took over, it was just pure fun. It was just like, it wasn't about speculation. It was just about like, oh, this is cool. Again, it reminded me of collecting baseball cards or, or collecting stamps or collecting sneakers. It was about just the fun of it. And yeah, I, I, but part of the fun of collecting and being a part of a community of other people that happened to care about collecting the same thing I was collecting was that I owned the thing I was collecting. Like, in fact, I don't think it's called collecting if you don't own it. I don't even know if that term applies if you don't possess and own the things. So, but how do you possess and own something that's digital? It's hard. It's hard to get your head around it. It's hard technically. And that was the fun part of the blockchain. Like blockchain, I'm not saying blockchain is the only way you can own something and possess it digitally. I Maybe there's some other way you can do it, but it's the easiest way that I know of. And it was, it was, it was a... And you, there was a lot of other people using blockchain to do that. So it, it worked in terms of collecting digital assets. And so you go all the way back now to Odyssey. If, you, if you're playing this Starbucks loyalty game and it involves a form of digital collectibles that also you can earn along with your points, along with your cool prizes and rewards, well, that felt like a community that felt like a, an extra layer of fun that comes with that sense of ownership of collecting and sort of discovering, oh, I wonder if I'm going to get this one or wonder who else has that one. I wonder what else I can get. And I want to see what you have. I want to show you what I have. And so Starbucks actually created a discord for Odyssey and got and essentially created a real community around this. And if you ask Starbucks today, I think they would say that one of the best things that's come out of this whole thing besides a, you know, relationship driving, business driving, fun game layer on top of their loyalty program is that because it involves digital collectibles and now because of that involves community that wants to talk about it and is sharing their experiences and connecting with one another on the Discord, like they've created community too. So they've got community, they've got storytelling, they've got digital collectibles, they've created a game layer, they've tied it all into their base program, which allows them to basically, you know, accomplish business goals and get consumer insights in the whole process. So it's created this ecosystem, but it's, you know, if you don't have a digital collectible part of it, it's harder for, I think, for, to create community because that's sort of that thing that turns it into that like passion project, not just a loyalty project. <clears throat> There's definitely something intrinsically human about the the sense of uh, belonging and identity that comes along with ownership and it's very difficult to decouple those and it's very difficult to fake that in any other way um 
And one of the, I think one of the interesting things that in the previous conversations that we've talked about, because you mentioned Nifty Gateway and, and Custodial Wallet, which I'd love to come back to the wallet topic as well, but the marketplace is, a, is quite an important part of that as well, isn't it? Because if, if I have a certain number of things, like firstly, there's a very practical thing. If I don't have all the ones I want to complete a collection and complete a quest, like I, um, I, I might have missed the window. So like I, I might need to go find somebody who doesn't want it to go to go get it. But, right. but you've talked a little bit about the importance of being able to put a financial value on something in order to create the actual human realization that I actually own this thing, right? right? Like how could I, how could I sell or trade something that I don't own? That's so, right. But you know, on the, from the outside, it also looks a bit like, well, marketplace is kind of financialized behavior. So, so yeah. talk, talk a little bit about like, you know, you said it wasn't about the speculation. It's not about the financialized behavior and, 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 you know, and collecting and flipping and hyping and pumping. It's really more about the community and the ownership side. So, so, Talk about the role of the marketplace in this and why that was such an important decision. Yeah, that's right. Because Starbucks has done a really nice job on Odyssey of um, making it so that the value you get from owning these stamps, either you got them for free because you completed a journey, or if you bought one, you got a bunch of points that are going to give you essentially like equal value on the, on your prize uh, or whatever they call it, the benefit selection uh, criteria. Like they've done a nice job of being like, look, if you play this game and have fun, uh, it doesn't matter what these stamps are worth. They've done a nice job of building a program that does not require or, or rely in any way on sort of speculation. Um, however, to your question, you know, when I I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> embarrass myself a little bit, but when I you know when I used to collect coins and baseball cards and stamps when I was a kid. Um, I would go, this is, <laughs> I'm dating myself, definitely pre-internet. Uh, I would, I would go down to the little shop, uh, next to my house, uh, in the little commercial area next to my house. And that's where I would look in the window and see what else was there and how much things were worth. And I would look at my little book of my cards and my stamps and my coins. And, and I would, I would just want to, I'd be intrigued to know like something was worth something. Like it was making that, you said it was making that emotional and intellectual connection both to the fact that these things that I own and were collecting were really mine and they might've had some value. And I, I, you know, I never really sold them. I mean, I traded some and sold some, but I mostly bought uh, from that little shop uh, and, and sort of did research. And so the purpose of the marketplace, in my opinion, and why it was so important to build it into the Odyssey experience was so that you could, so that you could have that first for a lot of, a lot of non-Web3 uh, natives that were going to play this game and are playing this game, they could go, oh, you're kidding. Like this little stamp I got that I think is fun and cool. Like maybe they thought of it as like a badge from Foursquare back in the day is how they related to it. But they're like, no, wait, I actually see there's this built-in marketplace and I see I can, it's worth $20 or something. Like, like, like just making that connection, was remind, it's almost like when I used to go down to the little shop down the street from me and I could see like my rookie baseball card was worth $3 and I bought it for 50 cents with a bubble gum pack. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like it just made the connection in my head and made me feel like the thing I was, that I really owned something. So it, I think it was an important part for, and we talked about, we can talk about wallets too. I think it was an important part to sort of show off the fun of collecting a digital collectible or digital asset was that there was a little built-in little shop there that you could sort of sell or buy or 
you know, check. And, and, as, and as long as you didn't need the price to go up or didn't care about it, then like I used to do when I was a kid, then that's great. And that, that kind of completed the circle of like, great, I've got this thing. I've earned it. Now, in most of Web3 and, and blockchain, as you know, you, you mostly have to be a little bit technically proficient. You have to know how to use a wallet. Um, and, uh, the average person can get spooked off by having to like learn what a crypto wallet even is, or have to learn anything about blockchain. So with Odyssey, it was important to sort of do everything I just said, but make it as simple and easy to use as buying something on Amazon or buying something at the store down the street. Right. So it was like, so we were like, how do you do that? Well, that's where Nifty Gateway came in because Nifty had been, a leader forever, you know, for years in the space, uh, making it really easy for people to just use like a credit card to buy an NFT and they would hold the NFT in a wallet for you on, with your account. So you never had to learn anything about crypto wallets or anything about cryptocurrencies. But what was great about Nifty is that they were this great, you could almost call them like Web 2.5. They were this great company for understanding and believing in the web three ethos and then blockchain and then the power of like self-sovereignty and interoperability and all the benefits that come from cryptocurrencies and blockchain in general, but without forcing that on you in order to be able to have the fun and joy of collecting an, a, a digital piece of art or a collectible. So they, what they did is they allow, they would hold it for you in this thing called the custodial wallet and let you use your credit card. But if you wanted to, you could transfer it out into your own crypto wallet and, uh, and vice versa. So they were this really neat, almost gateway, hence the name, uh, I guess, to like web three for no, for normal people like myself when I got into the space. And so we thought they'd be a great partner to come in and allow for the, the sort of the, the wallet functionality and the marketplace functionality that was necessary for Odyssey. It made sense to bring them in and have them sort of, you know, uh, uh, build a kind of a white label version of their product right into the Odyssey app. I mean, I think I think it's really interesting what you what you what you say. I mean, obviously, any any of the other practitioners out there, um, if you're watching this and you've come across this challenge of, you know, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Because if you really want to own something, then any uh, Web three or blockchain um, purist will tell you it's got to be in your wallet, right? <clears throat> if it's in somebody else's wallet, like technically Nifty Gateway has an asset for you in a wallet they hold for you, technically it's not yours. But for ninety nine percent of people. Um, that's just one step, which is uh, the head scratcher, right? Compared to the experience that, that you can get out of it. And there's, and there's always the possibility, like you say, to transfer out. And, and it's not usually that easy to do that. I, I think one question that I have is, you know, have you seen people do that? Like, what does it tell you about the behaviors of the people who actually are part of the program now, right? Because you've got, you know, one big thing most brands have been kind of grappling with, especially anybody who stepped in in sort of 2021 and 2022 is a lot of the things that were done in a very Web3 native way have addressed an audience of Web3 natives. And on the other side over here, there's like a bajillion consumers yeah. who are still kind of sitting on the sidelines and you're now doing a lot to kind of entertain and engage this subset, some of whom really do kind of give a deep shit about your brand and some of whom never did, but were kind of more in it for the, for the, uh, you know, the, the financial opportunity. So if you address them, in the way they know how, which is kind of a little bit more purist, do you really address the people that you're trying to address? And it's clear that, that Starbucks made the trade-off here to say, 
we've got to make it easy. But I wonder if there have been people who have been like, oh, you know, a little bit like the Reddit story, right? Like, you know, who who kind of actually just was messing with a snoo and then realized, oh my God, I've got an NFT and now I could, you know, this, this, this is something I can push into another wallet and maybe sell on another marketplace. What have you observed? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, this is, and anybody can go on to like, open sea and see this or you know this is all public information which is like there have been a fair number of people that have moved their uh, uh odyssey stamps onto their own wallet um but but i don't know and it's interesting is like you know how many of them and i also have to be careful what i say because I, I can't say stuff that's going on that's confidential that you know insights that starbucks has learned that i might be privy to but what i can tell you is that like of course you know it, there's been lots of instances of people that were not knowledgeable or involved in web three at all that did go, Oh, this is interesting. I can, this is a great way for me to learn more and sort of, you know, uh, be curious and experiment uh, with some of this stuff. Um, so there's been some of that. There's also been a lot of web three natives that are in the program that of course have done that. Um, and then, you know, a lot of people that don't. So it's, um, it's, it, it was sort of a, we hoped it would be sort of a Goldilocks approach or a compromise or whatever we want to call it. Um, and it's gone well so far. So we're really, you know, we're really pleased. And you can see, um, you know, it continues to grow and they're still in beta, but they, uh, the program continues to grow. And, um, you know, it, it seems, I think everybody seems to be pretty pleased with it. And look, you know, just do the disclaimer anytime you need to, because we're, we're used to that, right? Yeah. Um, but one, one of the things that, you know, certainly while I was out back at Adidas and one of the things that we talk to brands um, and IP holders a lot about as one of the reasons why the digital asset, hey, we talked about a few things, you know, the, the firstly, the sentiment of ownership, which just brings to get a, a different degree of togetherness and community, which you can now co-create with and start to, to generate some some value with. But there's another big aspect of the of the of the digital asset side of things and, and doing things on a blockchain, which is this is on open rails. So if you've got if you've got digital assets coming from a brand's ecosystem and a partner of that brand, whether it's another brand or an athlete or a sponsor or whatever it might be, wants to address or create a benefit for those people, you now have this thing which is portable using these open blockchain rails and say, okay. You got a key from from Adidas. You now get a preferential access to you know Beyonce's uh, concert tickets through Ticketmaster or whatever, right? Right. And you, you're seeing that happen with these token gated experiences, like you know on Spotify, um, Shopify now has that ingrained and stuff. Um, and so the brand partnerships aspect seems to be one of the most powerful sides of the story, although maybe still a little early for people to kind of super get their heads around. But to be able to really do that, you got to take the asset with you at some point right? Like you have to be able to take your key and then put it in another door, which may not be, you know, inside the same um, custodial ecosystem created by an NFT gateway, for example, right? So so if there is an intention down the line that the most loyal, loyal Starbucks consumers may also have benefits outside, what, what do you think, what do you think that setup potentially like means for that? Is that, is that an obstacle? Is it even something which is under consideration? Is it just we cross that bridge when we get there? What are your thoughts on that? That's a great question. Um, it, well, first of all, the the question isn't whether you can still do it um, with the custodial solution because you can. It's just you're doing it in a web two way. So what you can do, for example, is now you basically have. I'm going to nerd out here technically just to answer your question. So you've got if if, if I own an asset 
but it's being held for me in a custodial wallet, uh, a digital asset in a custodial wallet. The custodial wallet company, in this case, Nifty or you know, a combination of Nifty and Starbucks, they, they can, they could all, it's associated with an account. By definition, in order to pull off a custodial digital asset solution, you have like your asset is associated with an account versus an individual wallet, right? Because it's in an omnibus or in a broader wallet. So I then it's not hard to say, okay, anyone that anyone that own they can still they still know who owns the asset. They can still they can still asset gate or token gate interoperability, just but it requires, you know, a web two solution to do it. You gotta like basically use an API of some sort or some way to know like, okay, does Adam own this asset? Okay, I can go look and find out. I'm just not looking in Adam's wallet. I'm looking in this sort of like general wallet associated with an account. So you can still do it. The beauty to your point of true, real, like blockchain-based, web three-based, self-sovereign ownership of a digital asset is that you can more easily um, do interoperability and token gating and things like that. You don't need an API. You don't need a dev team to do it. It's it's it is built into the ecosystem itself or the platform itself. So um, you can still do it. Uh, you can still do it. It's very much uh, in the consideration set. And one of the you know the interoperability, the ability to say, okay, everyone who's got. I mean, one of the cool things about Web three, it's it's almost like the game. It's almost a gamified part of Web three, which is that like. Because uh, unlike when I when I used to collect baseball cards, there was no way for that shop on the corner or the Major League Baseball or anybody to know exactly who owned their cards and be able to like do fun things with that. To, not just token gate, but just to airdrop me stuff, right? To basically say, hey, and to, and to basically create like rules and have fun with it. Say, well, if you have, you know, if you have these three players in your cards, I'm going to give you a fourth one for free. Well. Back in my childhood, that required me going down to the store and someone probably with like a notepad, you know, checking if I had certain things. But you can do that all so easily on the blockchain and it's all open and it's all transparent and it's all doesn't require development resources. So I think that's one of the cool things about Web3. The problem, and maybe I'm just bringing up something you're going to bring up in a second. The problem, though, is that it's still really hard for the average person to get their head around digital asset ownership. Um, but more importantly than that, to like think about what it means to, to self-custody stuff. You know, it's by the way, I think there's a magic to self-custody. I love doing it. I think I encourage people to um, not be afraid of it. Um, and there is a truth to not your keys, not your crypto, like saying, um, however, there's a reason why a lot, a lot of people use Coinbase to buy Bitcoin or Ethereum, right? As opposed to using a wallet. Um, they don't, I think those people believe they own it, but they're right. They're, it, they don't, they're not self-sovereignty owning it. And there is a real reason that you should really think hard about the benefits of self-sovereignty. But what it comes with is like a really, a really complicated user experience still, in my opinion. Uh, we have not, as an industry or as a yeah. sector, cracked the code on that. So that's why there's trade-offs here. And I think when brands are thinking about the space, they got to think about why am I doing this? Like, I want to create a, a better relationship with my customers. I want to create ex storytelling and community and gamification. And Web three can be really helpful in those ways, but um, it doesn't matter if nobody can use it. 
So, or the average person yeah, can use it. So that's sort of the challenge I think that we're still, everybody's still kind of working their way through. And now you see a lot of um, experiences where it's, you know, you can, you know, connect with your wallet or you log in, create an account and, and log in and we'll do it the other way for you. So that there's, you know, you get to kind of pick your, pick your own adventure with respect to custody, um, which I think is, uh, you know, certainly in some of the experiences that I've been, I've been taking a look at more recently is reducing that barrier and getting a lot more people involved, um, which is not a bad segue because, you know, now we talk about Starbucks in, in being in uh, Starbucks Odyssey being in beta. It's definitely one of the most mature programs out there right now. Like you said, you know, things are getting exponential and like a year is like a really long time <laughs> right. in, uh, in, in this space. Um, let's maybe have a start thinking about what might lie ahead here, right? Like you gave us a bit of a picture of like, all the different journeys, the different ways this can be gamified, um, the different combinations of journeys which might unlock a next thing. You're, you're, it's like you're almost constantly evolving this always-on game that you were talking about in the very beginning, right? Which is quite a different skill set to, you know, running running a, a basic loyalty program or making and selling coffee, right? Like there's a now there's now this kind of like there's quite an operation to keep that level of engagement going. It's like almost Starbucks in a way is becoming an entertainment business in this narrow, narrow aspect. How, how do you think about like the scaling of this um, with respect to, you know, Starbucks, I don't know how many mi millions of members there are on the rewards program, but it must be millions yeah, to get from this beta yeah. to like, to those, do you think that, do you ever expect that it will be the majority of Starbucks customers that will be engaging with something like that? And if not, like what, what's an interesting scale and how does the sort of the operation behind it, um, uh, how, how, what, how big does this need to be for it to become something which just like lives on forever and becomes the new normal? It's a great question. And I think, you know, kudos to Starbucks. I think they're, they're, they're willing, they've always been willing to experiment and learn. I mean, when we built the mobile app, we had no idea, you know, we built a, we built a loyalty program and a mobile app that now accounts for, I think it's, um, you know, approximately 60% of their business goes across loyalty in the U S and it's something like it's over 30 million active uh, loyalty members in the U S. So it's you now when we built it, I remember when it was like, Oh my God, it's 1% of transactions. Like we were like high-fiving about 1%. So, you know, and there was no way, like it was all about like delighting the customer, giving them, you know, having a, having a, building a better relationship with the customers or thinking about like, how can you engage with the customer in a way that they're going to get something out of it? It's going to make them feel closer to you. And you get to basically tell stories and have a relationship with the customer that you wouldn't be able to through some kind of transactional, you know, more typical transactional nature. So at the time we were doing, we were innovating on things like mobile payment, points-based loyalty program, mobile ordering. Um, we were doing all that. But that was in a, that was like, that felt magical compared to I walk into a card and I swipe a plastic credit card and I don't get any points and I have to wait in line. And so, um, so what, so to go back to your question, like, well, then we evolved to mobile ordering and mobile payment and, um, and a digital loyalty program, earn and burn loyalty program that became the majority of Starbucks customer transactions. Like, how do you go the next level? And so Odyssey is an example. It's not, it, who, maybe it is the answer forever, but it's an example of building upon that. So, so think about it. Loyal, Odyssey is built on the Starbucks loyalty 
login credentials, right? They didn't have to do anything new to incorporate purchases and gamifying purchases and storytelling around purchases into their experience because you already have the login. It could know where you bought something and what you bought. And so that was not just beneficial to Starbucks, it was beneficial to the customer. So for example, Starbucks Odyssey, the latest journey they just released just now is called Going Places, okay? So the first activity in the Going Places journey is called the Community Challenge. And basically what it says is like, um, you know, you need to visit um, uh, three different Starbucks stores, okay? Just three different ones in the time period. And then what it does is it's like plotting where everyone in the entire Odyssey community of participants is going. And if you get to 8,000 different stores in the U.S. visited in a certain amount of time, there'll be an extra bonus unlocked on top of the journey stamp you're going to get. And so, and it's being tracked live in the app. Like, I think they're up to um, 6,772 out of 8,000, and the journey's only been live for a few days now. So it's fun. And everybody in the Discord on the community side is is saying, oh, this is amazing, right? Like, we're close to the goal, and you're, it's like this community activity it involves buying Starbucks at different places. It's fun. Um, there's there's another part of that same journey that's going, called an in-store expedition. You're going to go on a virtual treasure hunt at a Starbucks store near you. You grab your phone. There's going to be a VR. I, I don't. I haven't done that part yet. I think it's going to be like a VR access or something like so, or or maybe an AR. Excuse me, access uh, to the experience. So now you've got like augmented reality complementing like a whole community of all these people trying to unlock a special prize by going to as many Starbucks as they can, and it's all being tracked live. I mean, all of that's happening on a loyalty program. And guess what? People are buying coffee and enjoying their coffee and getting their normal Starbucks stars for doing it the whole time. So where can it go? It just can go anywhere, right? You can create games, you can create community, you can create storytelling. Um, it's all built, it's it's building on the system itself. and. And and in the whole and in the meantime, you're earning these digital collectibles and you're having community and you know, so I I think to answer your question about how big does it need to be, I don't think it needs to be, you know, everybody in loyalty for this to be a success. I mean, the, there's gonna be business success, there's gonna be consumer insights that are gonna happen no matter how many people participate in it. But um you know, Starbucks, like I mentioned, they have this history of doing games and things for their loyalty members. And they don't they don't get everybody to participate, but they get a lot. You know, they get uh, yeah. they get a lot of people to participate. So I, I, I don't think it I think when if I was trying to make this turn this into a sort of a lesson, so to speak, for other businesses, I would say, like, be willing to experiment, be willing to um, build on what you've done. Not everything has to move the needle on day one for you to learn because eventually one of those things is going to turn into something that's really going to move the needle for you. And that's a huge corporate innovation lesson for, for anybody. Cause, cause you know, we're talking about web three, but we could be taught, we could have been talking about social media, you know, back in the early two thousands. That's right. Um, or we could have been, we could have been talking about actually websites and e-commerce, you know, a little bit before that. That's right. And the same thing would apply, right? Attitudinally. The same thing applies. I think there's something very interesting about what you said about this latest challenge, which is, you know, once you've got a, um, you know, more than one channel in these digital assets involved, there are ways to almost, you know, create a game, which is a little bit like, well, who are we? Where are we? This community of people who rally around this thing. And, you know, 
oh man, like we've we've only got one thousand two hundred and twenty-eight <laughs> mental arithmetic, can't resist it, whatever it is. Stores left to get where are they all? Right. And now we've got people like, you know, pimping out the store in like, you know, that's Roanoke, what, Virginia or whatever. You so know? Tarek, that's like, sorry to interrupt. That's happening on the Discord. Yeah. People are comparing notes to be like where and they're creating Google Sheets on their own and trying to figure out those twelve hundred that haven't happened and and they're sleuthing it out. Hey, do you know someone near there? Like, tell them to go and you know join the program and get go them on the beta. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I think I think that's I think that's fantastic. And you know, when I asked the question about how big does it need to be, I'll confess it's a little loaded. And and the reason is, you know, like, and, and I've, I've I've seen this a few different stages of of, of my career, certainly at, at Adidas, which is when there is sort of very high engagement, high co-creation, a high touch experiences that you create for people that, you know, there's always a temptation when you sort of look at the business as like, you know, what we're trying to achieve as a global organization, that something should move the needle. But actually there's, there's a wisdom in sort of taking a bit more of that kind of Pareto view of things, which is there's a certain fraction of your audience here who are going to disproportionately advocate for your brand right? And not just advocate for them. Actually, the headroom on the lifetime value of that audience is probably a lot higher than trying to get somebody down at the fringe to spend more with you or to advocate for you. So like actually focusing on how does this, you know, top five to 15%, let's say, I'd love to hear, you know, other practitioners about sort of where they kind of see that ballpark, you know, it might be one to five or five to 15, depending on your industry. Right. Um, but th those are the ones where, you know, lifetime value, there's real kind of um, value to be created. And there's and that headroom between the available cultural capital and emotional capital that people are ready to invest with you. I didn't uh, get that. Could you? Sorry, Siri's, Siri, Siri's telling Siri's me I'm, taking, I'm notes, taking too long to saying, explain yeah. this. Yeah, but she doesn't get it, which is a bad sign. This is a bad sign. Like, I think, I think there's a wisdom in saying, don't worry about how big it is at the beginning, but... There's one thing which I think differentiates what you've done with Starbucks um, relative to most of the other brands that have entered into the space, which is which is the build on top of the existing loyalty program, right? Like when you see brands entering into the space and sort of doing, you know, a drop or a collection or an avatar or a PFP thing or whatever outside of their core loyalty base, now you've got an audience over here. Yeah. And you've got your main audience over here. Yeah. And the next question is, well, what's the overlap and how do I scale this thing? Yeah. Because now I, I need to try and figure out, you know, so you see what Adidas did, like Adidas basically said, you know what, like there are specific products for these, for this special group of members here. Yeah. Bring your token to the confirmed app and you get special access to only buy this product. And it's a way of almost signposting, you know what, if there are different ways of engaging with a brand that earn you different tokens, there are special you know, basically products that you can buy or experiences that you can access by having this thing. And then you're like, oh, well, you know what? That's kind of what our overall membership program is meant to be about anyway. Like, why don't we take that learning and build it into the core mechanics of how it works? But you did that from the outset. And I think that means you get to find out without having to smash that many eggs, right? You just get to sort of keep exploring and see what the penetration of this program could possibly become. I think that's right. I mean, it, it, it's sort of to maybe even segue into some of the stuff that Forum 3 is doing next. Um, we've really been building on those lessons. So first of all, I'll say when you were just talking about um, the importance of your these sort of super fans or these core customers 
and the importance of also not innovating um, so far outside the core of your platform and outside the core of those super fans that like you lose the opportunity to, I think, learn the most valuable lesson. So I think about sneakerheads and I think about Adidas and Nike and like, I don't know the story like you do. I haven't been in that industry. I'm a, I'm a, you know, a newbie collector, but um, I can only imagine that 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 was probably happening in an authentic way from a core group of customers that were probably were the best customers of those brands. And then it became like so important to Adidas and Nike's culture and business now. But there was a time where it was probably just like some super like really passionate collectors that were doing things. And then the company sort of looked at that and learned and sort of we're willing to experiment or bring that out. And I don't know. I don't know that industry like you do, but um, I could only imagine. And I, the, what I'll say, one of the biggest lessons that we learned at Forum Three by doing everything we've done is, I keep coming back to these same words. You know, community, gamification, storytelling, empowerment, participation, emotional over transactional. These are all the themes that we keep coming back to. And um, when AI came on the scene big time, I'm talking about generative AI, these large language models, chat GPT. When, we launched, when Odyssey got launched by Starbucks in December of last year, it was basically the same day, almost to the day. It was like a week away from when chat GPT went public and, and went live. Um, and we, f we were like, wow, this is really interesting because what these, particularly with some of these like, uh, tools like Midjourney and um, uh, Dolly and Stable Diffusion, these 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 um, these generative AI tools that allowed people to create uh, art um, or create images or create videos or create um, ChatGPT or some of these other large language models. They can create, you know, I'll call it business plans. They can create songs and and books. And so we we're like, wow, this is like this incredible democratizing and code. Yeah, code. Like code's yeah. a big part of it. They can create games. So think about Odyssey. There's I'm describing a, a I'm describing a product that has all these different facets to it. A big part of the what's happening in Odyssey is like little mini journeys and experiences that are all code based or digital. And so with the rise of generative AI for being frankly this incredible tra uh, transformational and democratizing creation tool. We were like, we at Form 3 were like, whoa, like, because right away, just like we did with Web3 and Metaverse, we were like, this is really interesting. We had been talking about AI, but until ChatGPT came along, it wasn't as democratizing as we saw. We were like, well, you just type in some words and incredible stuff comes out. And so um, we, we started thinking about, well, could you use AI as a brand to create uh, community uh, co-creation experiences, which we think are, you know, kind of almost obvious in a way. If you're if you're thinking about things the way Tarek that you and I do, you're like, oh well, geez, all of a sudden your consumer can create code, your consumer can create art, your consumer can create like all these things that they couldn't have created before. And if they're a brand fan. What does that mean? It, we don't know. We want to explore that. So we've we've at Form Three, we've created this thing called Hive Three that's going to launch this fall, and it's essentially going to be on the on the face of it, it's an it's a uh, an AI 
competitive league for AI creators to compete against brief. So we'll say either a real brand or a, we'll, we'll do a mock brand brief and say, okay, community of creators, almost like an esport, and say, all right, you, you're going to create, you know, your the contest is to see who can create the best whatever this week. And then we have judges and we have prizes. And, and the idea is to um, build a community and, and uh, of these AI creators in this league setting, um, but, but very much involve brands in it in, in terms of both the, the contests themselves, but also some of the services that we would be able to um, provide to brands on the back of such a cool platform and community. I mean, I, I love the idea. And by the way, I mean, that's a, it's a great segue because, you know, you talked about the same themes of, you know, community gamification, participation, and we started this whole conversation talking about Web3 as one of the emerging technologies to do that. And this convergence of Web3, Metaverse and AI and kind of just seeing that like, okay, you know, blockchain rails are kind of some rails here, but these these adjacent technologies only actually amplify the you know the core north star which is about that deeper connection between you know people and brands ultimately um and so question for you is what firstly i saw the announcement very much looking forward to uh maybe even competing on one of these briefs just to see if i how my ai chops uh, look on this stuff so um do you also see then is there a dot joining like if you sort of think about the 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 things that you've learned through um through starbucks and i do want to ask you a question about you know, if you could go back and advise yourself. So we'll come back to that, but we're, yeah. we're on this on this, uh, on this this narrative arc right now. Is there actually a Web3 or blockchain element that kind of underpins what you're thinking about with respect to Hive3? Um, you know, like having a digital carrier for the creations, for example, which I know that there's all sorts of territories around intellectual property and all that kind of jazz right. when it comes to to that kind of thing. Um, but is there, a, is there a connection there beyond the, um, the, the, the high level, you know, gamification and participation in community piece where, where blockchain supports what Hive 3 is. Yeah, we, we believe there will be, I mean, we're, we, we thought you could imagine it was, we, we had long, many long conversations about, do we launch Hive 3? And by the way, for anyone listening, you can go to Hive 3, Hive, the number three dot AI to learn more, but Hive 3 dot AI, we had a lot of long conversations about do we want to have some of the rewards that you can win for competing and participating be digital collectibles? Because that's very much embedded into the Odyssey uh, uh, process. And we're big believers in it, of course. And we decided to take a, take a beat on that to, for launch because we, we didn't want to, at, to do too many things all at first. We wanted to make sure we could... Um, uh, have something that was engaging and interesting and fun for these AI creators, this league concept and make sure that it, it worked well and they were enjoying it and they were learning and winning and having fun um, that we had a place for brands to come into it and take advantage and participate. But we very much of course think that um, there, there will be a gradual but definite infusion of uh of multiple blockchain related things. So there's both digital assets that we think that you could win um, that are either coming from us or coming from the brands. And then, um, and then of course it could eventually form like our own version of a multi-brand loyalty program kind of across the back end of what we're doing. So, but that's, 
we're like, whoa, that's just going to confuse everybody if we do that to start. So let's take a chill. Let's launch something that's fun and interesting and makes sense and is beneficial to both the AI creators and hopefully to the brands that we're involved with, and then bring the the Web3 and even the metaverse in. I mean, when you look at with Apple's announcement of, I think it's called like the Quest Pro or something, but like, or is that, no, it's not Vision Pro. I'm, I'm mixing, I'm mixing yeah. the Oculus one with the Apple one, sorry. The, 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 the Apple new like, you know, um, uh, AR, VR uh, goggles, like we're like, yeah, we, we, we look at that and say, that's, that's, inc that's amazing. And yes, like I, it, you know, as much as it kind of is a little bit dystopian to think about, I think this idea of a lot of people are going to want to experience uh, a lot of their digital connections through the AR, VR experience. Um, it's why metaverse has been an important thing for forum three. We, we absolutely think that's a trend that's just going to keep happening. And so like, could some of the competitions involve creating things for a metaverse? Could you actually create a metaverse world as part of the competition? So like, it's not just creating art or creating a campaign or creating an app or a game. Like it's uh, AI creation, AI powered creation very much infuses into blockchain and and in metaverse, and then how do you sort of uh, own uh, potentially uh, some of the things that get created and who owns it and how do you use it? And blockchain is gonna have, a, I think, a big role to play in all that, but we've got to build it one step at a time. And that is a whole other series of episodes when it comes to you know where, where, that, where that will head. But I think it's a fascinating turn that you've taken with you know what you've learned because you know, and this is a belief that we share that the role of the emerging tech is really to to create those, you know, direct, meaningful, valuable connections between between people and brands. And they're not mutually exclusive at the end of the day. They're probably more mutually reinforcing and exponential, I think, as Raoul would say, if he was sitting on this uh sitting on this uh um this podcast with us. Um and so that's a, like, you know, everybody watched this space. It was hive hive three hiv three dot AI, right? I think was the was the site. Go check it out. Um, and look, let's, let's use that as kind of a segue into our wrap up of this thing. Cause we've taken a little look forwards about what you're working on with forum three. I got two questions I like to ask everybody, um, as we kind of come to the close, which is really like one look back and one, and one look forward on the look back side, because my hope certainly is that amongst the audience here, we've got a bunch of people who are either extremely curious, um, or actually active inside companies thinking about what all of this stuff means for them. Right. So some of the best lessons are if you could go back to, you know, Forum 3 and Starbucks 12 months ago, 18 months ago, and give yourself a piece of advice about, yeah, you're on the right track, definitely do that. Or you know what, think twice about doing that. What would those, what would that advice be? Huh. I mean, uh, there's been a lot of, a lot of lessons learned. So it's, it's funny because you like think back and you're like, oh, well, what were those lessons? I mean, I, I, I feel, I feel really proud of what Starbucks has done here. And so I, um, there's no, there's no obvious ones. I mean, there's, there's little like technical ones that you could have cleaned up. And if anything, I think just sort of probably touting the vision a little bit earlier and a little bit louder because I think they've done a great job of it now. I think that's one one lesson learned was like 
explain like some of the journeys that are coming and explain what's happening because it was so new and and I think they've done a great job of that. So I think one lesson learned I would tell myself is just like the more that we could talk, we at Forum Three or Starbucks could talk about you know why they're doing this and the the community benefits of it and sort of how it can shape up. I think is something that um uh early on you know everybody was a little tentative and and um you know it, it's it's worked out well and i think they we could have we could have um done that um a little more um I, you know i don't i don't you know i also think you can't in hindsight and again hindsight's 2020 i i don't think you can understate um just how important it is to sort of bring the consumers along that don't know about or care about digital asset ownership, but don't let that discourage you because we've seen that once people sort of get into it, you know, have never been a part of it. They, they love it. And they, the same reason all of us that are into digital asset ownership and blockchain and web three, and, and we believe in it, like, I mean, outside of speculation, there's, there's still a magic to it and there's still a lot of power to the ethos of it. And, and, you know, you got to be patient. You got to get through that. And I think we've all been through some pretty rough seas in the last six months of in the last year of, you know, the space being in such a, uh, a tough spot from a narrative perspective. But it doesn't change the fact of what got us excited about it in the first place. And I feel like that's something I would have said back to to be like, don't forget, like, um, you know, the magic is still there. Um, which is the name of your company, right? Like magic and science, I think, right? So science magic. That's yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. Well, well remembered. And actually, I think you know you've dropped a couple of gems here, which again, I think they speak more to the corporate innovation ethos, which is, you know, courage is part of the ingredients for success, as is a little tenacity along with some agility. Uh, but you know, having that fertile ground that we talked about at the very beginning of this episode, you know, very strong top-down support strong fabric of trust, commitment to engagement and loyalty to the highest degree already. Just put the wind in the sails to get you through those rough seas if I'm going to, you know, build on your poetry here yeah. a little bit. Yeah, um, well put. Adam. Well put. So, so um, and, you know, I, I, if I may, I'll just hammer home one of the, from a pattern spotting perspective, is that I think one of the lessons around, you know, building on the loyalty program that you have, I think for some companies they'd find it extremely hard because, you know, it's so ingrained in the infrastructure and, um, you know, it's one of the things that you don't mess with. It's almost like an industrial machine. So experimenting with it may seem like a very risky thing, but there are certainly advantages of building on that database of consumers you've already got, because now you don't have to bridge between this little audience you've built over here and your mainstream consumer. And I'm sure there are some brands out there that are envious of that journey. Um, and by the way, you mentioned about the, the, the Adidas journey. Um, there'll be another episode just to sort of plug this one. There'll be another episode with Vladislav Lazarov of Adidas, you know, retracing the steps, um, up until the time I was still there and then everything since then. So all of those lessons learned are also going to be packed into another fantastic episode of adventures in crypto for, for you, Adam, and for the rest of our audience. Oh, good. I, I, yeah, I can't wait to watch. I, I, I mean, I learned so much every time I listen to you, Tarek and, and Raul. And so I, I can't wait to tune into that. Yeah, there's, there'll be four episodes actually in total. So thank you so much for being one of ours. And my last question, we're going to dream now, like between 12 and 36 months from now, what's your kind of, I don't want to say prediction, but what's your hope or ambition for this space of, you know, blockchain, AI and emerging tech 
what what do you what do you what do you really want to see in that in that time frame well first of all i, I think it's worth t- there's a word we use at form three a lot which is this word responsible like we i feel like appropriately there's a lot of talk right now about what is what does responsible look like when it comes to taking advantage of these technologies, particularly AI, but obviously blockchain and metaverse. Like, I think there are a lot of pitfalls and landmines and um, concerns in this space. And I'm, I'm not going to end on a downer, I promise. What I, the reason I'm saying that is because it's, when I think about the next 36 months, like, it's kind of like we were just talking about. I, I, I hope there's a way that a lot of us, I'm talking about like society, mainstream, can like understand that this stuff is happening. So how do we how do we take advantage of it? But also at the same time, like realize that people can get hurt. Um, uh, you know, bad things can happen, but it doesn't mean that you just sort of sweep it under the rug and pretend it's not happening. So how I I so we talk a lot about like you know, we're, we're really keen on figuring out like, what does it mean to responsibly use AI for image creation or video creation or otherwise? And there's a lot of reasons that have to be concerned about that, but that doesn't mean we're not experimenting with it and thinking about it and trying to find ways that are brand safe. Um, my guess is that brands right now, when they look at blockchain, when they look at AI, when they look at metaverse, they're like, wow, I, I kind of know I need to get smart in this area. I kind of know that's where the puck is going, but I'm tentative because I either don't understand it or there's legal concerns or there's ethical concerns or there's media narratives. And I just kind of hope that um, we can all sort of keep our wits about us and um you know, have an open mind on both sides to be to recognize the pitfalls and the realities of what's what what are the watchouts and what are the problems, but at the same time, like understand that genie's out of the bottle on this stuff. So we need to we need to sort of talk about it and figure out ways to do it. And I, I in working with brands, what's what's great in a way is that brands provide a good bar because you know brands are conservative and brands are appropriately um, uh, careful. And, um, and so if you can do things that are brand safe, I think, in, in, or try to anyways, in general, that kind of is a nice bar to try to hit, which is like, you know, get your hands dirty, experiment, um, but do it in a way where, you know, you're trying to be as responsible as possible. So that, that's my hope is that we go from this, I'll call it sort of polarizing state of affairs to one where, um, people are recognizing that it's happening. So let's figure out how to do it in a way that's the most responsible in a way that's the most fun and beneficial. I think that's a, that's a fantastic thought to finish this out on actually. And I'm sure that's on the minds of a lot of the people watching this and a lot of people who are trying to figure this out, you know, whether it's from marketing or finance or digital innovation, or just at the, at the C-suite that, um, you know, a little courage and open-mindedness here is def- is definitely going to be one of the one of the things which which gets you where you need to go. So, um, Adam, I think what's left to say now is thank you for sharing you know your story in a lot of depth here, um, and uh, really helping our audience to try and understand you know what it's taken to bring um, you know for Starbucks to bring Odyssey along with your support in Forum Three to where it is today, uh, and also to zoom out a little bit on how these emerging technologies. 
uh, kind of amplify each other in, 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 in the vision that you have. So um, very much appreciate the time, the, the honesty, and you know, you have a very entertaining way of telling the story too. So thank you so much for being with us. Uh, thanks for having me. It's great to, always great to talk to you, man. Until next time, and uh, everybody on on uh, watching this um, or listening to this, stand by for more episodes of Adventures in Crypto, looking at Web3 and brands with me, Tarek Nzlawi. And Adam, just quickly, where do people find you? Uh, at Adam Brotman on Twitter. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. And like I mentioned, uh, check us out at Hive3.ai. Perfect. Thank you so much again for joining us and have a great day. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.